I'm reading from Romans chapter 13, verses 8 to 14. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is a fulfillment of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake up from sleep. For salvation is nearer to you now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in daytime, not in orgies and in drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and not in jealousy even. But unto the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This is the word of the Lord. I want us to remember um, of what the first few verses were, verses 1 to 7. It was about the call to obey the government that God has placed above us. And so last week we saw that all authority that God has placed for us comes from God and Him alone. And I want to read from verse 7, which is last week's verse that we ended with. It says, Pay to all who is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. And so today, verse 8 actually follows just after that. Remember, in the Bible, uh, you, uh, in the original, you do not have verses and chapters that are broken out. The reason we have it today is for us to understand and how to find the verse more easily and make it more accessible for us. Uh, so verse 8 is connected to verse 7 in that sense. And it says, own no one anything except to love each other. The obligation or the commitment or the command to the Christian was to obey the government. But more than that, Paul reminds the church, that the Christian commitment is to love. That is the overarching theme that the Christian is called for. Just like the church in Rome needs to be reminded the Christian commitment is to, be, is to love, we too must be reminded that the Christian commitment is to love. Because just like the church in Rome forgets that as Christians are to love, we too often forget that we are to love. And this is the essence of what we as Christians should reflect of who God is. If you say, I'm a Christian, I am Christ-like. We sang the songs that reflected of who Christ was. And this is what we should reflect in our lives as well. Both me and you, all who call ourselves as Christians. So I want you to realize that God's love calls you to reflect his love to each other in your families, in the church, and then a reflection of that out into the world. So how can you carry this commitment of love is the question that we can ask 
from this passage that we see this morning. And so when you look to this passage, I want us to guide us to three truths from the text, which will remind us and which will help us of this commitment to this Christian love. So three truths from this passage that will guide us and remind us and help us of this commitment to Christian love. I want to bring us to the first truth, which is from verses 10. I'm sorry, verses 8 to verses 10. The first truth that will remind us of this duty to love is to understand that the overarching call of the Christian towards each other is that of love. The overarching duty to the Christian is that of love. If you look at the first, if you look at the Ten Commandments, which are still applicable today, some people think that they are not applicable, but the Ten Commandments are still applicable today to us in the light of the New Testament. You would see two overarching commands. One is to love God and one is to love your neighbor. Who summarized this? Not me or not some other preacher, not even Paul. Jesus himself summarized this for us. He did it in the Gospel of Matthew, in the Gospel of Mark, and in the Gospel of Luke. But I want to read today, especially from the place where he summarized it in the Gospel of Luke. And that is from Luke chapter 10, verse 26 to 28. Luke chapter 10, verse 26 to 28. Now, if you leave me here, I can give a sermon from this passage as well. Uh, because it is so packed, but uh, especially with what's happening around there. Um, but I want to go into it, but not as deeply as make a sermon out of it, because that would make us sit here forever. So uh, being loving towards you all, I'm not preaching a sermon in a sermon. I would want to read from Luke chapter 10, verse 26 to 28. And this is what it says. What is written in the law? He replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbors as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. You know, the teacher of the law asked Jesus, how are we to be saved? How would we receive eternal life? And then Jesus tells him a few things and don't know the story. He says, I've kept all of those. And so then he uh, says, asks of this. And then Jesus asks him two questions when he comes to him. He says, what is written in the law and how do you read it? In other words, what is the content or the essence of the law? And how do you perceive it? How do you apply it? How does it work upon your hearts? This is the question that should reflect or something that should ponder upon our hearts as well as we hear Christ. The reason Jesus asked him this question is because the lawyer was doubtlessly endeavoring to justify himself on the obedience of the law. In other words, he trusted his own works. He thought that in following the law, he has done all that he needs to do. Many times we as Christians can think that in following the law and keeping God's commandments and doing the things 
that God has asked us, we have done all that needs to be done. And therefore, in a way, we can find righteousness in ourselves. And so what was happening to the teacher of the law was that he was standing on a ground that was unsafe, a foundation that was unsafe. That foundation for him, and oftentimes for us, if we believe likewise, could be a foundation of self-righteousness. But what Jesus was showing him was that the, what the law actually required, it needed a better righteousness. It needed a perfect righteousness. That which our hearts, that which our lives can never fulfill. And so in doing this, what he was doing was showing that the law was a schoolmaster to lead us to Christ, to lead him to Christ. Like what Galatians 3.24 says. And so he was actually using the law to draw him to himself. It sets forth the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, towards us, something that we sang about. It is God's love towards us as miserable men, men who are poor, who are distressful, just like the parable that followed this passage, who were distressed, who were uh, robbed by Satan, who were wounded by him. But Jesus, in his compassion, came and saved us. We were loved by him. He gave us life, even though we were enemies and rebels. Having shown us mercy, he bids us to do his will and to follow him and to do likewise. Just as he has shown us love, that is how we are to show love to his people as well. In our families and in the church, in the places where he has placed us and according to our abilities, show love to those who are in distress. This begins in our homes and this is something that should be reflected in the church. And this finally flows out into the world. This way of loving our neighbors as ourselves breaks all the barriers that we can consider. Barriers of ethnic background, or if you're following the rules, rules uh, following the news in the West, barriers of racial ten tensions, which is not even a barrier in the Bible because the barrier does not, the Bible doesn't even talk much of racial issues differentiating by how a person looks, black or white. That is what racial issues are. So not ethnic differences, not racial differences, not financial differences even, not even religious backgrounds that you come from, not political stands, not anything that would divide us, but unite us in Christ Jesus. And so I want us to understand that this work of Christ that he's done on our hearts should be reflected outwardly by breaking all such barriers. And that is the first way how we can love one another. And Paul holds on to this teaching of Christ, that what Christ did in the gospel, and he reminds the church in Rome of their call to love one another. And he actually mentions four of the six commandments that tie this up. You know, the Ten Commandments that are there, the first four of them have to do with loving God. The next six of it has to do with loving our neighbors, ourselves, as ourselves. In how you honor your parents, in how you uh, honor each other. And here Paul actually 
refers to four of them. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not commit murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. All these are part of the Ten Commandments. And he goes on to say, and any other commandment, which are the other two, which is about loving one another. If you follow these things, if in whole, if you love one another, because you find your love in Christ, remember that is the outflow, that is a source from where you're getting this from. If you do not love God, if your vertical love is not at work, you will fail at loving each other. That's why you have men who abuse wives at home. That's why you have men who abuse women, men who abuse child, children, men, or, or likewise the other way around as well. You have people hurting people because they have no relationship with their God in heaven. And therefore, they hurt each one. Now, if you're listening to this and you're saying, ah, this is not for me. I am loving everyone around me. I am good. I want you to stop there right now. And because that's exactly what the rich man or the teacher of the law was doing. He was thinking he was perfect. You can never perfectly love anyone. Only Christ can do that. So what should you do? Find your fullness of love in Christ. You have never loved perfectly till the point of death. You have never loved perfectly till the point of laying down your life. That is what Christ did. You will never be able to do that. And therefore never look to your love and think that you are perfectly doing it. Do not relax and think this is for others, not for me. This is for every one of us who is listening to this. And this love should be a reflection of our hearts in what Christ has done for us. We can never perfectly do it, but we should never stop aiming for perfectness. Just because we can never perfectly do it does not mean that we stop in where we are and think, ah, I have done it. In doing so, we are sinful as the man who came to Christ. But on the other hand, there are those who ignore the laws of God completely. They have no idea that even exists. They have no zeal, no love to even learn of it. And then you are sinful as that man, even though your sin is different than him, though he stands on the other side of self-righteousness, you stand on the other side of ignorance of the law of Christ Jesus and of his command. And so therefore, though you sin differently than him, you are as sinful as him as well. Paul is showing this to the church in Rome in how they should love fully that they are to love one another. You know, you want to know whether you are... So the question to us is something that should be really clear, something that we should ask ourselves. And something that Paul says uh, to the church here is that God calls you to love owing nothing else, not anger, not hatred, not forgetfulness even, not self-love also, but accept to love others. So the question from this passage to you right now is do you love others? And before you jump the gun and say yes, do you love your family? And if you're saying yes, how do you do it practically? 
and I'm going to the book of James, who will help us. Show me your works by your words, if you proclaim it, but with your works, you do not show it. Then your words are in vain. If in only words you love, but in deeds you do not love, then your words are in vain. They are false words. Do you love the church where God has placed you in? And then again, I'm going back to James. Show me your works. How do you love? Not that in your works you receive righteousness, but your works are the fruits of you being righteous in Christ Jesus and receiving his righteousness. The first way you can start by actually reflecting this is repentance, because if you have not been doing it at all, the first way is repentance. That is the basic mark of a Christian. If you don't have that even, and if you're hiding your sins, then you are no different than an unbeliever. And I'm saying this for some of us, if we might be here who may be in this situation, I'm not saying this is what we all are, but this might be the state of some of us. This may be the heart condition. God knows your heart. He sees all of you. And so the word of God that we are presenting this morning would go to the innermost being of your heart and would convict you of sin. And if he's given you a heart of flesh, it would draw you into repentance. But if you have a heart of stone, this will draw you away from God. This will make you walk away from him even more, hardening your heart from his love even more. And so I want to ask you all, how do you love your family, love your church? Forget about loving the world. That is there. I know the whole thing about here is also loving the world. But if you cannot love the family, if you cannot love the church, you can never love the world. And I'm not talking about loving people over social media or coming on a Zoom call and talking, not all those things, because that is the easiest thing uh, to do. And that is how many even Christians are often fooled. We do a post. This is how I was often fooled. I do a post on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. And I think, hi, I've done my stuff. I've shared the gospel and I've also reached out to people. But that's the easiest way. I can, with a click of a button, do something seated at home, not even actually speaking to a person. And so that conviction should make you move towards something more. If you're doing something on social media, are you actually interacting with that person one-on-one? -on -one? Are you reaching out to them? Are you meeting them? Are you spending time with them? Are you getting to know them? And so the first place you can start working is your home. And that is where I would encourage you to start working. As much as this is for you, this is for me as well. Because all of us in different measures struggle with this. Remember, Christ alone is our perfect righteousness. Christ alone is where we can find strength. Christ alone is our, to is whom we can look to, to know who loves perfectly. And so if we are able to love our families and the church well, we will be able to love the world well as well. Which brings us to the second point. The second alarming truth that will help us of this duty to love is to wake up from our spiritual state of stupor. And this is again taken from the text from verses 11 and verses 12a. 
Too many of us are so busy with ourselves, with our own lives, that we are sleeping spiritually. Our eyes are open. We are open to the things around us. We are woke to the world, but we are numb to the things of God. We are sleeping to the things of God. We have drank so much from the spirit of the world through all its system, be it friends or televisions or jobs or newspapers or social media, whatever it might be, that we are numb to the work of God, to the work of the Holy Spirit upon your heart. And you know one, one way well-meaning, like I said, Christians fall prey to it is because they are only interacting to folks on social media and WhatsApp and YouTube and you think you have done it. But folks, that is not the primary way how God has called us to interact. It is through personal means. It is helpful. God has used that in my life. Uh, even though I was thinking that is how I should do things and I was doing it and thinking I've done everything. But afterwards, God in his time has shown me that if I'm reaching through social media, I should also make an extent to actually try to meet people physically and get to know them. So social media should be a means to why you actually meet them physically, to get them, know them, and actually walk and journey with them. But if you're not doing all that, but just making posts online, then it's of no use. And for the younger people, it's social media. For the older people, it is WhatsApp or YouTube. You can keep sitting and streaming through it all day long and thinking that you're growing in Christ because you watch three sermons, but you could have not spoken to people around you. And this is as much as a struggle for people like me. And this is something that's plagued the church around. You know, our first place of where we should receive God's word, where should it be? The first place where we should receive from God's word, outside of the Bible, should be the local church. And many people, sadly, are not receiving it from there but rather through online mediums and portals. And the second place, and the second thing is the outflow. The first place, you, the outflow of your love should be in your family and then in the church. And so this love that we received should be reflected there first and then to the world around us. And so this is something, again, that I want us to look to our hearts. It's something that Paul in a simple way, summary up for the church. And he says, all this fulfills the law. And he says, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Oh, nothing but just love. And so that's something we should ask ourselves. Are we uh, loving our church people? Are we loving our family? That brings us to the third point. The third truth that we can see from this text that reminds us of this duty to love is that we must cast off all the works of darkness and put on the work of the light. I want to run back to the points again in case uh, some of us were tuned off and tuned in and uh, or maybe if you've not paid attention uh, or in case I didn't state it clearly enough. The first point was the first truth that we remind us of our duty to love is to under the, understand that the overarching call as Christians towards one another is to love. 
That's the overarching call that God has given us, a duty that we have. The second truth is that we should wake up from our stupor. That is something that Paul tells the church. To wake up, for the hour has come where you should no longer be sleeping. And many of us, like I said, as Christians, we are awake, woke to the world, but sleeping to the things of God. And then uh, I want us to come to the third point, is to wake up, I'm sorry, come to the third point. That is, I, I want to go back to the second point. I forgot something. When, especially in 12b, 12a, the first part, Paul says, uh, 12a, the first, the part where Paul says, the night is far gone, day is at hand. You know what Paul is talking about? He's actually talking from the other side of the cross in what something Jesus himself had said in John. And so he is quoting from John chapter 9, verse 4. I don't know if you all have, uh, those of us who have been there through the series of John that we did in 2018 and uh, summer uh, through 17 and 18, you all might remember this. This is what Jesus said in nine, John chapter 9, verse 4. We must work the works of him who has sent, it, sent us while it is still day. Night is coming when no one can work. The night that was the work of the cross, that was when, uh, when the silence was there, when that was the break or the dawn of time. And Paul says the night is far gone, the day is at hand, that is salvation is nearer to us. We are right now in the moment. In other places he says, if you hear the words of Christ, today is the day you should repent. Today is the day you should come to him. And so we should be awake to the work of salvation upon our hearts, church. That brings us to the third point, that we must cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Cast off the work of darkness and put on the armor of light. And this is from verses 12, the second part B, to the verse 14. We must remember that our walk in Christ is both of putting off of sin and putting on the work of Christ. Now putting on, I do not mean that, that positionally that you are right with Christ, but in evidentially to live out your salvation. And you know what Paul is doing is he's telling the church in Rome, as he has told us in this passage as well, in, and he's telling another church something very similar. This is not the first time he's saying this, of putting on and putting off. This is something he said to the church in Corinth. All of us who were studying Corinthians together, do you remember what he said to the church in Corinth? Very similar. Put off, put on. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lamb, as you really are unleavened, for Christ, a pastor of a lamb, has been sacrificed. Do you remember that? Cleanse out the old leaven, put on the new lamb. You know, many times we think as Christians, this is only to be done when you first make your first step into Christ, your first steps into Christianity. After that, it is to be forgotten. Our whole life should be a life of repentance, and believing in Christ and his righteousness. And so uh, believers, all of us should walk not in blindness, 
but in the fullness of truth that God has brought us in and in what Christ has asked us to walk in him and in his righteousness with Christ Jesus who's walked before us as our perfect representative, as a perfect righteousness. And so there's this two things that you need to do to put off and put on. How do you put off? By saying no to sin, by recognizing the sin, by knowing that sin exists in your heart, by identifying the sin that exists in your heart, and by cutting off from it, by not making provisions to the flesh, what Paul says here in the text. That is how we say no to sin. That is how all of us should do. But at the same time, we should also remember to put on the armor of light. How do you put on the armor of light? By looking to the righteousness of Christ, knowing that our righteousness comes from outsiders. Now, there is two ways we can wrong, go wrong in this. One is all your life could be only about putting off. That is, I should not do this. I should not. A lot of not don'ts and not of do nots. If you are doing living your life that way, you will be ending up living your life trying to attain righteousness by your works. That is not how God has called us to attain our lives and our righteousness as. And therefore, you would be living your life by just through works. The second thing, or the second extreme, what you can go in is to the other extreme, where you're only looking to the righteousness of Christ and you're finding hope in him. And you can claim all these promises. I am loved. I am hopeful, I am this, I am that, I am, you know, all these I am things. And you will be living in hyper grace mode where you're not aware to the sin in your life. You're not killing sin and you're not putting to death the deeds of the flesh. You're not doing the thing that Paul is asking you to do here. That is to be aware of the sin that is in your hearts and to put to death deeds of the flesh. And these two extremes are where Christians often should not get stuck at. And if you go far towards these extremes, you, would, you will not be living as a Christian. So how does a Christian live? He sees that he is sinful and he is hopeless. And that in him there is no righteousness. And in him there is sin. He identifies his sin. But then he goes to Christ Jesus and finds his fullness in him, knowing in him there is pardon for sin, knowing in him that his righteousness can be found in Christ and Christ alone. You know, 1 John 1 verses 9 to 10 summarizes this beautifully for us. That is 1 John verse 1 verses 9 to 10. And the most beautiful thing of 1 John is that it's written to the church, not to unbelievers. And this is what 1 John this is what John says in the book of 1 John, verses one, chapter 1, verses 9 to 10. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that beautiful? All that God wants you to do is to confess your sins. And if you confess your sins, he will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. But if you say we have not sinned, you make him a liar and his word is not in you. What does that mean? 
you are saying God is a liar. I'm not saying this. The writer of the Bible is saying this in 1 John 1 verse 10. You make God a liar and the word of God is not in you. That means you are not a Christian. The word of God does not dwell in you. And so I want us to look to our hearts. Is the outflow of our hearts love and putting to death the deeds of the flesh? What is it? Is that how we live? And I want us to find our righteousness in Christ Jesus, knowing in him there is fullness of joy and to come to him in repentance and prayer. But if you are one of those who are listening to all of this even now and you're saying that, ha, ah, this is not for me, I'm fine, there's nothing wrong with me. There's nothing I need to confess with. There's nothing that I need to ask forgiveness for. And then you're making God a liar and the word of God does not dwell in you. That means you're not a Christian. What awaits for you when you stand before God is the full judgment of God, the righteous wrath of God that has to be poured upon you. And so the good thing for you to do would be to repent of your pride and to come to him in repentance. And so church, I would encourage us to take a few minutes, quiet in your hearts, repent before God and to look to the righteousness of Christ and know that that is where your fullness of love lies. And I want to say that God is good. He is loving. If you confess, he is faithful. He is loving to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So let's take two minutes and pray and then we'll close in prayer together. Lord, we want to thank you that we can come to you this morning and find our hope in Christ Jesus. We want to thank you that only because of the work of Christ is where we can find our source of joy and fullness and hope. We want to thank you for the perfect righteousness that can be found in Christ Jesus. We want to thank you, Lord, that you offer us forgiveness, that you're faithful in cleansing out our sins if we repent and come to you. That you would not only cleanse us from some sins, but you will cleanse us from all our sins. That you will look at us as righteous that we may have a right standing before God. This is beautiful, Lord, what you have given us and what you have done for us. So, Lord, I want to say forgive us as a church if we have forgive, forgotten to love one another. Forgive us if we've forgotten to love in our own families, as husbands, if we've not loved our wives as wives if we've not loved our husbands, as children if we've not obeyed our parents, as brothers if we've not loved our brothers and sisters in our families. Forgive us as the church if we've not loved one another within the church. If my brother in the church, if my sister in the church is hurting, I have not reached out to him or her. Even though I've known of it, and I've said I'll pray for you, but we've not reached out to them. Help us not only to reach out to them in their pain, but also in their joys and also to be there throughout all of this. And Lord, remind us that all this can be done if we put to death ourselves, actually, to die to ourselves, because that's what you have called us as Christians to do, to die to ourselves 
and to live for the audience of one that is Christ Jesus. And help us to know that we cannot do this by our own strengths. It's only through the working of the Holy Spirit. Help us not to look and to our own righteousness and be discouraged, but help us to look to the righteousness of Christ Jesus. But at the same time, help us not to be fooled and ignorant of our sinfulness, but help us also to look to our sinfulness and be aware of it, to put to death the deeds of the flesh. Forgive us, Lord, if we've been in spiritual stupor, if we are dead to the things of Christ, if we are asleep to the things of Christ, but woke to the things of the world. We know everything about the latest football match or the cricket score or everything else that's happening, or especially now due to the pandemic. And we know everything of how the statistics are, but we cannot even articulate the gospel, the very thing that brings us to Christ Jesus. Forgive us if we've been asleep in such a way and help us to be alive in you. Help us to remember, Lord, that there is no place in your world for lukewarm Christians. There is no such thing as a lukewarm Christian because you have shown us in your word in the book of Revelation that a church that is lukewarm would be spitted out like how warm it is spat out. And so help us not to be like that and help us to be the true self. Help us not to put on a facade, but help us to truly live for you and truly to walk in righteousness. And so Lord, help us to find our righteousness in you, knowing that in Christ's righteousness is where our fullness can be found. And let us rejoice in the hope of what he's done for us. Let us rejoice in the love that he's poured out for us. Let us rejoice in the love that he has shed for us. Let us rejoice in the personal love that we sang of this morning. That love goes beyond the bounds of this world and anything that this world can understand or can provide. And let us find joy in this love that he has for us, O oh God. And may all of this be done, not for our glory, but for the glory of your son, Jesus, and for your glory, O oh God, in whom we will be blessed as well, in whom we will be edified. And with all of this, we bring to you, Lord, and ask in your name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Join with me as I read the benediction. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us, which is pleasing in his sight. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you and remain upon you. And all the same said.